All right. Well, amen. Well, once again, it's good to be back uh, in the Lord's house this morning. And uh, uh, just thank you, church, for having us in and making us feel welcome. And thank you, Pastor, for um, allowing us to be here and share what God is doing in the country of South Africa. So, uh, again, I'm Brandon Byerly, and um, my wife, Maggie, and little Winston are in the nursery now. So uh, uh, y'all pray for them or anyone else that's in the nursery with Winston. So, uh, uh, but we're uh, excited to be here. Oh, and also I'm supposed to say, because I always forget, I don't know how I forget, it slips my mind, but uh, we're also expecting another one. Um, Maggie's about uh, 18 weeks along, I think, this week. We're having a little girl. So uh, so y'all pray for us. We've still got quite a bit of traveling to do and uh, and planning on trying to be, a, you know, Lord willing, be around home so that she can have the baby at home this fall, this winter. So, um, but uh, we're we're excited to be here. Excited to be in Montana. Um, we're excited about what the Lord is doing, uh, not just in our lives, but being able to see what He's doing around the world. And uh, it's it's really exciting to see how God works. And it's even more exciting, uh, if not sometimes terrifying, in our lives for us to see His timing, because. I don't understand the Lord's timing at all. It makes sense later on, but it hardly ever makes sense in the moment. And this ministry is something that's had a lot to do with the Lord's timing and why He chose the timing for some things, I have no idea. But He's God and He knows and He did it for a reason. So um, what I'm going to do, I'm going to let you see our video and see uh, a little bit about us and a little bit about what's going on uh, in South Africa, a little about the situation there. And then uh, I'll tell you some more stuff that's happening there that has happened in the last four years since the Burgies have been there as well. A child lay motionless on the floor, left for dead by the people who were supposed to protect and care for them. Malnourished and covered in flies, they cling to life. Another has been placed in a garbage dumpster, thrown out like trash and abandoned. And yet another, in a bucket in the corner of a dilapidated shack with its umbilical cord still attached. These are the true stories of children that have been rescued and given a second chance at life. Sadly, there are many more like these that have not been rescued. These children need someone to tell them of Jesus' love. If no one goes, what will their outcome be? How many more will be deserted, thrown out like trash, and left for dead? Will there be any hope for them? More so, will they ever know of the hope found in Jesus Christ? We are the Byerleys. My name is Brandon, this is my wife Maggie, and our son Winston. I grew up in a pastor's home and was saved at a young age. When I was 18, I surrendered to preach the gospel and have been working with children and teens since 2006. Maggie and I grew up together and were later married in 2014. In 2018, God blessed us with our first child, Winston. I was blessed to grow up in a good, godly Christian home. For as long as I can remember, I always wanted to be a nurse. After coming to Christ as a teen, I knew that my desire to be a nurse would align with the desire that God had placed in my heart to serve Him. I just didn't know how yet. Um, shortly after Brandon and I were married, I graduated nursing school and became a registered nurse. Um, and then after that, I was drawn to pediatric nursing. I have had the privilege to take care of many children from lots of different backgrounds and cultures. While on our survey trip, God burdened my heart for the orphans of South Africa and opened my eyes to see how desperately they needed good health care. It was then that it became clear to me how I could use my desire to be a nurse and my desire to serve God in perfect harmony, and that was to be a nurse to the orphans in South Africa. In 2016, Brent and Selena Berge visited our church and shared their heart for the orphans in South Africa. It wasn't until a few months later that we realized God had been working in both of our hearts to move forward in partnering with the Berge's and Little Fish Ministries.
South Africa is the southernmost country in Africa and has a population of 55.7 million people. It is a land of great diversity and beauty. From the rocky coastlines to its sweeping plains, there are many sights to behold. It is a beautiful country filled with breathtaking views and amazing wildlife. But sadly, South Africa also is home to much crime, sickness, and poverty. 7.2 million people are living with HIV and AIDS, making it the world leader of people affected with this disease. Limited health care and lack of education is what causes the prevalence of this disease. Many people die of treatable conditions and preventable diseases. On our survey trip in 2017, we experienced this firsthand and realized how strongly this correlated with the orphan crisis. These diseases left untreated and the average life expectancy being 43 contributes to the number of orphans in South Africa, a staggering 5 million. Most of these children, without the guidance of parents or support that a stable living environment brings, end up turning to a life filled with gang involvement, violence, and prostitution. Though important, the greatest need in South Africa is not an answer to their health care crisis or their physical needs. The scarce number of gospel-preaching churches paired with ancestor worship and practices similar to the occults have left the land spiritually desolate. The thing they need most is the gospel of Jesus Christ and to know there is hope in Him. Selena Berge started Little Fish Ministries with the goal of reaching orphans for Jesus Christ. Maggie and I will be joining them in Port Elizabeth, South Africa to help grow this ministry by meeting the spiritual, physical, and emotional needs of abandoned children. We will be working alongside of veteran church planning missionaries as well as national pastors. We will assist in these churches through preaching, soul winning, singing, and working in various children's ministries. It is our desire to work alongside the Burgies and join the staff of Little Fish Ministries. I will be taking on the title of Assistant Director and working to help build the children's home from the ground up. Maggie will be helping meet the medical needs of the children in the home as well as working in various facets of ministry. The Lord has used our ministry involvement and careers to prepare us for His calling. Join us in praying that the Lord would begin doing a work in the lives of the people we come in contact with. We ask that He would make the way clear for His will to be done. We also ask for prayers while on deputation to raise the support needed to begin our ministry in South Africa. We humbly ask that you would consider committing to monthly support of our ministry. As you can see, um, there is a great need in South Africa uh, when it comes to these children. Just to kind of give you an idea, um, South Africa is around one-eighth the size of the United States. And here in the United States, there are roughly 443,000 children in the foster care system, compared to that five million in the country of South Africa. Their system technically, in theory, should kind of work like ours, where um, a child would be taken out of a home that can't care for them, 
or taken out of uh, you know a dangerous situation or a bad situation and care would be sought uh, to find a place for that child to find a loving family for that child uh, but in reality that's not at all what happens usually um, the social workers will, ha will have a huge stack of cases on their desk and the easiest thing for them to do is to take that case or take that child and just place them with the next of kin now of course you know nothing wrong with keeping the child you know in the same family of course that would be great but what typically happens is it's just taken out of one bad situation and placed right back into another bad situation it's taken from one family that can't care for them and placed with another family who unfortunately can't care for them as well but that's usually the easiest thing to and most convenient thing for them to do so what that leads to is instances like you saw in the beginning of the video there those weren't things that we made up some of those were stories that we heard ourselves and then even since then we have seen just numerous cases and numerous reports of children being found in dumpsters and in trash cans in in bushes along the street and even unfortunately more graphic things that I, I won't share with you from up here but just terrible unimaginable things that happen to these children the statistic is that around 3,500 children survive abandonment each year. And they say for every one child that survives, two do not. So that's 7,000 children a year. That's on average 19 children a day that are perishing from neglect and abuse and abandonment in South Africa. There, there is a great need there. Um, and, but it's amazing to see how the Lord works. And, and we know that He cares for, the, for children in general. We know He cares for these children. And it's just incredible to see the doors that He is opening uh, for us to minister to these kids. Um, we're very thankful for the way that the Lord called us and burdened us uh, for this ministry. We met the Burgies. Um, I think I told you my dad is our sending pastor, our home church. We met the Burgies that he had invited them to come through the church. And we uh, were able to talk with them. And, and Brother Burgie shared with us the, uh, his vision that the Lord had given him for South Africa. They have five bi biological children and four that they have adopted out of China. So uh, their heart is very tender towards uh, orphans and towards these children who have suffered this kind of neglect and abuse. And so as he talked with us that night, um, we were able to go out. Uh, one of the perks of being the pastor's kid is, you know, you get to hang out with the missionaries after church or go out to eat with them and get to hear all the cool stories that they can't tell you from the pulpit. And so we got to know them a little bit better. And he as he was telling us his burden, he said, you know, but I, he said, I, you know, I have this vision and I have this burden the Lord has given me, but I can't do it all on my own. He said, I want to have so many different things and so many different aspects of this ministry. He said, but I can't do it all. He said, I'm going to need uh, people that have medical knowledge. And it's just incredible to see how the Lord worked in Maggie's life. She worked in a couple different hospitals, but certain doors would close and different ones would open until he led her into the area of pediatrics. And she'll even tell you she, she didn't love pediatric nursing when she started nursing school. And now she's just grown to, you know, she wouldn't do anything else. She just absolutely loves it. But it's incredible to see how the Lord uh, worked in her life to do that. And uh, I graduated from Bible college in 2010 and had uh, I'd helped my dad in a church plant in Virginia. And then uh, Maggie and I have helped him uh, in the church there in Ashboro. We were able to help start a teen Sunday school class and work with the youth there, which we loved. Uh, and it was, you know, it was a little sad leaving there um, because we just we really enjoyed it so much working with kids. And that's where our hearts at. But um, I had spent about six years working as a building maintenance engineer in a 34 story building in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. And, you know, you uh, you add engineer to any title and it sounds pretty awesome. Right. I mean, you could just you could tack engineer onto anything and it just you, you really have a cool title. So I was basically the handyman in that building. So I got to change the light bulbs and unclog the toilets and, you know, all that fun engineering type stuff that goes on. So um, but the Lord taught me a lot of things through that. And Maggie and I can both we can look back now and just see that it was all the Lord. It wasn't 
we thought we were having a, our career, you know, advancing in our careers, when really it was the Lord working behind the scenes, uh, preparing us for this. And we're very humbled by that and just just very, uh, you know, just in awe. Uh, but just that's the God that we serve. That's the kind of God that we serve. He, you know, he prepares us in ways that are unseen and prepares us for things that we have no idea about. But he knew that he would call us to South Africa and burden us for South Africa. And, and so as we talked to the Burgies, you know, they shared with us that burden. And the Lord spoke to our hearts about that. And so we got to know them better and, uh, and joined Little Fish Ministries and are excited to get over there. But we're, it's just incredible to see how the things and how the Lord worked in the last few years. Because, you know, when we made this video a year and a half ago, we didn't have property we didn't have uh, we didn't have facilities. We didn't have any of this. The Burgies took some kids into their home while they were waiting on the Lord to provide the property. Because for the last four years, so many things would almost happen and fall through. And but for what, it, like I said before, I don't understand the Lord's timing. I just it's just for me to trust it. But he waited until last year, till South Africa was on a level four lockdown. People were getting arrested for going out after curfew and trying to buy formula for their babies. They're getting shot with rubber bullets. It was just, uh, they said it was, well, for you guys, it was like the Wild West out there. They said it was just incredible. Um, but the Lord waited until last year to provide us with 24 acres of land. And if that wasn't enough, we are able to lay, uh, raise the funds uh, to build a medical facility. We have a medical facility on the property to build a baby haven, which is its own separate entity from the children's home. It will be there on the property, but it's a place where we can take in newborn babies instead of those moms casting those babies out and abandoning them. That'll be a place they can bring those babies where they can, uh, where we can care for them uh, until either you know they would want them back till they could find a better placement for them. But uh, usually it just turns into a long-term care situation where, where we will have them from then on. It'll also be a place where we can take kids out of like in, in an immediate need where they're taken out of an abusive or a dangerous situation and they get calls all the time now hey i, I just I, we had to go pick up this kid last night we need a place to put it and right now they just don't have the staff the facilities or anything like that but this will be a place where you can say bring them on over we've got a place for them we've got a place to care for them until something can be resolved but the lord did all of these things we've got bulldozers and tractors on the property right now cutting roads uh, working on grading, working on the foundations for some of the facilities. And the Lord just keeps providing and keeps providing. And, it, you know, we think about last year where we ourselves had to sit at home for uh, four months in total and have our meetings canceled where we were not able to travel or anything like that. Uh, but the Lord just kept right on working. It, he, he didn't get quarantined and he didn't get put on lockdown. And, uh, you know, he was still being God and he was he was answering prayers that he had waited for years to answer. And he waited during a time where we thought, wow, well, you know, what are we going to do now? Well, the Lord just kept answering and answering and answering prayers. So it's incredible to see uh, how he works in that kind of way. And it's a blessing to see how he works in that kind of way, knowing that that's the kind of God that we serve. He's opened doors in the public schools uh, where we can go in and, and teach, preach, do arts and crafts, music ministries uh, in these schools. And it's been a, it, there's no restrictions on what can be taught out of God's word at all. And it's been so effective that principals from other schools have asked that we come in and start a program like that in their schools. We've been able to go into other uh, of the state run children's homes and do like Bible clubs and Bible lessons and kind of the same thing uh, and teach these kids about Christ. Because what we want to do is we really have a burden to reach that next generation for Christ. Because while the Lord has equipped us in a lot of different ways and ha has given us some talents and abilities uh, that we want to use for Him, you know, we could stand up here and we could, we could kind of be like the commercial on TV with, you know, the little African kids where they're starving and hungry and say, you know, if you give $20 a month, you can feed this little boy. And, uh, but that wouldn't separate us. If, if that's all we did, then we wouldn't be any different than them. We wouldn't be any different than the state-run homes. We, we, we want to give them a good place to live. We want to give them uh, medicine. We want to give them clothes and food, and we, we want to care for them, their physical needs. I mean, you know, Christ himself did that while he was here on earth. But what we saw over there was it goes much deeper than that. And if we don't care for their spiritual need, then we're not really doing much for them at all. 
And we won't be any different than the other groups that are over there. And that's what our desire is, is to share the gospel with these kids, to get the gospel out in this, this country. And the Lord has opened so many doors for us to be able to minister to the young people of that country. And that's what we want to do. We want to see these kids know about Christ at a young age. We want to teach them about Christ at a young age. We want to give them the kind of lives really like me, like Maggie and I had. We, we were both blessed to grow up in, in such good, godly Christian homes, being taught the Bible uh, from a young age. Um, you know, I've, we were both in church before we could ever remember a time that, uh, you know, we were in church. We've, we've just always been in church since we were born. But that's what we want to see for these kids as well. Having loving parents that are giving them Christ, that are taking them to church, that are showing them that Christ loves them. Because what's missing in all of this, in all of their culture, in all of their society, there really is very little hope at all. And we can give them a little bit of hope by meeting their physical needs and their emotional needs. We can give them a little bit of hope but we can't give them the true hope that's only found in Jesus Christ. Uh, or they won't find that if, just in that. But that's what we want to give them. We want to show them that there is hope in Jesus Christ, that Christ can change their lives. Uh, like you were talking about in that example earlier, that being able to change someone's life, not just taking them out of poverty, not just take, no but giving them Christ, giving them something that's not just good here on earth, but that's good for all of eternity, you know, ministering to their souls. And so that's uh, what our burden is. That's what our burden uh, is to do here in South Africa, is to take these kids in and care for them. But we want to see some young men and young ladies be called into Christian service. We want to see some young men be called to preach, be able to go out into these places and start some churches, be able to minister back to their people, uh, see some young men and young ladies be soul winners, be on fire for God, giving out the gospel in these areas. There's, there's not really a communication barrier there. Everybody at least understands English and speaks English pretty well. But there's always that, that cultural barrier. You know, we're from North Carolina, so we're nothing like the culture in South Africa at all. But you know, if we raise these kids and train these kids, they can go back, they can reach their people in much more of an effective way uh, than we can. But the Lord has led Brother Bergie to start a church there. It's been Abundant Life Baptist Church has been there for about a year and a half. Uh, and P, we're seeing souls saved, uh, honestly, almost every week. Uh, new people are coming and visiting the church. People are coming and, and, and being saved. Um, they had a, their first baptism service about three weeks ago, and I think seven people were baptized uh, in that service. So the Lord is doing a great work there. And it's almost sad to say that He's opened doors in South Africa for the gospel that aren't even open here in America. And there's, there's areas, there's avenues we can give out the gospel in South Africa. When I went to the public schools there, we gave out almost a thousand Bibles in one morning. And I, it just kind of blew my mind. Like, we're in a public school and the principal's dragging me around by the arm saying, this child needs a Bible and this staff member needs a Bible and let's go to this other classroom. There's some kids in there that need Bibles. And it was just, you know, uh, it was just amazing to see how the Lord is working there. So if y'all would just pray for us. We've been going for about a year and a half now um, on deputation. We're uh, just over 55% on our support level. But what we really desire is prayer. We would just ask that you would pray for us, that the Lord will get us there by next year. We want to be there next year. Um, there's so many things happening. There's so many things on the property that will be developed by then. And there's... Uh, you know, there's the Bible even tells us, you know, the harvest is plenty, but the laborers are few. All these doors are open. There's just not enough people to walk through all of them right now and to get all these things done. So if y'all would just pray along with us um, that we'll get there in the Lord's time, but that the Lord's time will be next year that we can be in South Africa. And uh, again, pick up a prayer card off the table or ask Winston. He will be glad to give you one. Um, and you can sign up for our newsletter uh, that we can send to you by email or mail. And we would uh, love for you to keep in contact with us and uh, be able to share with you uh, at what God is doing in the country of South Africa. Um, if you would quickly this morning uh, in Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter number 5. And I thank you, brother, for reading the scripture this morning. 
Luke chapter 5 is a very familiar passage uh, probably to most of you. It's one that I can remember from Sunday school because I like to use my imagination in Sunday school. And I always like to think about this great miracle that was done here um, about the, uh, the miracle of these fishes, the drought of fishes. And I like to think about how those nets were breaking, how those boats were sinking, how the Lord just did this amazing miracle here. But as I was reading through this chapter, um, something uh, jumped out at me. The Lord spoke to me about something. And it was especially uh, after we surrendered to this ministry, um, because like the pastor said, it, it is kind of unique. And we're, uh, we're, really, we're thankful for that. And we're really just humbled about how the Lord could use us. But as I read in Luke chapter number five, I, something jumped out at me. And it's in verse number two. It's when Jesus saw or as he was teaching this multitude, as he was walking along the lake shore, it says he saw two ships standing by the lake, but the fishermen were gone out of them and were washing their nets. That phrase right there really jumped out at me because when we think of Peter, James, and John, you know, what, what, what do we think about? If, I mean, if I just throw out Peter, James, and John, and I say, who were those guys? You say, they're the disciples, right? Yeah, they were Jesus' disciples. That followed him around, did miracles, and, and it, but when I read this verse, the Bible doesn't call them Jesus' disciples. It says when Jesus found them, they were fishermen. I thought, wow. Christ called fishermen to be his disciples. And I remember singing some of the songs uh, you know, in, in Sunday school, the I will make you fishers of men, and Peter, James, and John in a sailboat, and you know, all the all those songs. So it's in the back of our mind. Yeah, they were fishermen. But have you really thought that Christ called fishermen to be his disciples? Now, I don't know about here, but in North Carolina, there's one, there's one very general trait about fishermen in North Carolina, and that's they're all notorious liars. It just goes along with being a fisherman, right? But it, are they like that in Montana? Yeah, nobody ever tells a lie about how big their fish was, right? No, not at all. I've, I mean, I've never lied to my wife about how big a fish I called or anything. No, not at all. But to think that Christ called fishermen, because as we look at this, we, we don't see any prior religious training. We don't... It, we, we, he finds them washing their nets. He finds them on the lakeshore. He doesn't find them in the synagogue. He doesn't find them at the feet of the high priest learning. He finds them right here on the lakeshore in a boat. And I thought, well, if I was looking for someone that I was thinking, you know, I'm going to start, I'm going to start a good ministry here on earth and I'm going to travel around and I'm going to, I'm going to preach and I'm going to, you know, I would think, you know, who, what, who would I want to help me do that? I would probably want some people with a little experience. Uh, you know, there, was, there would be certain places I would go looking to say, hey, do you, you, know, do you have somebody that would be willing to follow, come help me with this ministry? Somebody that has experience, somebody that knows what they're doing. But he didn't go to those people. He didn't go to the high priest. He didn't go to the synagogues. And, uh, you know, that's the difference in the Lord and me because those are the people that put him to death right, in the end, right? You know, the Lord knows a lot more than we do. But he goes to these men. He finds them on the lakeshore and he finds them really just toiling a day uh, away in their everyday life. He just finds them being fishermen. So very quickly this morning, I just have three quick points that I want to give you about this passage. Number one, what I see in this passage is I see the futility of man's ability. These guys were professional fishermen. Right, they had all the right gear. They had the boats. They had the nets. They had the knowledge. They they knew how to catch fish. I think we can agree on that. They knew how to catch fish. It was their livelihood. It's what they did. They worked hard at it. We even in verse five see uh, Simon is saying, uh, telling the Lord, "We've toiled all the night." But that next phrase, and have taken nothing. They knew how to fish. They knew what they were doing and they had all the right gear and yet their nets were still empty. It wasn't for lack of trying. You know, when I fish, I don't like to fish like this. I don't, I don't want to toil when I'm fishing. Fishing's supposed to be fun, right? You're supposed to have a good time. You're supposed to enjoy it. 
These guys, I doubt they were enjoying it. It it was a job to them. They toiled at it. And yet they still came up empty-handed. It wasn't because they didn't know how to fish. And it wasn't because their nets were full of holes. There was something else at work here. Even though they tried so hard at it, they still failed. That can be discouraging sometimes, right? When we... There are things in my life that I have the knowledge, I have the ability, and it's completely in my wheelhouse to do. And yet sometimes I fail at it. Sometimes it just goes all to pieces. The most dangerous tool that I had was not, when I was a kid was not my pocket knife. It was a screwdriver because I loved taking things apart and putting them back together. It's just, I love doing it, even though I didn't know how it went back together. And then you take some things apart and there's those couple little springs that just, you never find them again. They just shoot out and that, and it's never going back together. But that didn't stop me from trying. And my dad would have a phrase. He would say, that's an exercise in futility because the harder you try to fix it, the more broke it gets. There's just no putting it back together. You know, sometimes the Lord allows us to go through those kinds of trials and allows us to go through those things because it's for our own benefit, because there's something else at work. So we see the futility of man's ability, but number two, we see the faithfulness of God's power. There was, there was a reason behind this. The reason was that Christ needed to show them what could be done through them, but with His power added. Okay, so they had the ability to catch fish, right? Yeah, they were fishermen. They had the boats and the nets. Okay. But he wanted to show them what he could do with that. Not what they could do with it. You know, if they had gone that night and they had just caught a couple fish, this this would not have been as powerful. If it had been a regular night of fishing, they had caught all the fish they wanted, this would not have been as powerful. But he allowed them to fail at this task and fail at this night's work because he wanted to prove himself to them. And even in the midst of defeat, I imagine they felt pretty defeated that night. I doubt they got paid by the hour like a lot of jobs today. I imagine they probably got paid by the amount of fish that they caught. So they're going home broke and tired and probably a little frustrated. But This kind of showed these men's character. As the Lord asked them, as He said, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a draught. Simon Peter answered, uh, he answered him and said, Master, we've told all the night and have taken nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down the net. And when they had this done, they enclosed a great multitude of fishes and their nets break. It showed some things about these men. It showed that these men were teachable. They could be taught. I don't know what the Lord was teaching that multitude, but I know He got in their boat and He taught them out of that boat. And I have no doubt that those men, maybe they kept mending their nets. Maybe they kept washing their boats. and Maybe they kept packing up all their tackle and were getting ready to go. I don't know. But they probably heard what Jesus was teaching that multitude. These men were determined. You know, it shows a lot in life People that are determined, even at their, if you will, secular jobs, you know, their, their everyday jobs, the job they have to go to from nine to five or, you know, your 10 hour shifts and your 12 hour shifts. It shows a lot of character, the people that are willing and dedicated to uh, even, you know, that work for a worldly company or a worldly boss. And it shows a lot of character to be as a Christian to be dedicated to that kind of work, to be a dedicated worker. These men were determined in their jobs. They were determined to catch some fish. They were determined to work hard and provide for their family. It showed a lot about them. But not only that, it shows their willingness because Peter or Simon said, Master, we've told all the night and have taken nothing, but nevertheless at thy word I will let down the net. They were willing to listen to what he had to say. But maybe most importantly, they were obedient. Verse 6 says, And when they had this done, after they were obedient, they enclosed a great multitude of fishes and their nets break. So we get a little glimpse of the character of these men here. 
And we see that even in the midst of defeat from a night's work, they, they still had the characteristics about them to follow Christ, to be obedient to Him, to listen to Him. And because of that, we see this great miracle that's happened. You know, sometimes in our life, we get, we, life's hard sometimes, isn't it? We get defeated. We get, we get, you know, it feels like we're trodden underfoot. Sometimes it feels like the devil really has the upper hand in this world. And so unfortunately, sometimes even in our lives, we feel the weight of it bearing down on us. It's in those times that the Lord can really prove Himself to us. He can really prove who He is. He can show us exactly where His power lies. And you know, in these times, I believe some of these times, we've really got to watch and pay attention. Can you imagine what would have happened if Peter had said no right here in this passage? Where he said launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a draw. And Peter said, Lord, I don't know if you know this, but that's my boat. And those are my nets. And all the, I'm a fisherman. And this is the only lake I fish on. I know this lake like the back of my hand. I, I, I've caught many fish here before. And uh, we didn't catch any fish last night. So, and if, as you can see, We've got everything packed up now. It's all cleaned. It's all mended. And I honestly don't want to drag my net through the mud again and get it all tore up. I'd rather, if you want to come back tonight and tell me, what, that's fine. I'll cast the net wherever you want to later on tonight. That's fine. Can you imagine if he had said no and rejected this command of the Lord? We probably wouldn't have heard anything else about him in the rest of the scriptures. And if we did, it, it might not have been too good. But you know, a lot of times in our lives, when we're in a struggle, the Lord, He'll come to us and he'll, maybe He'll ask us to do something. You know, something, He comes to us in a way that we can understand just like He did these men. But sometimes, you know, Peter could have got offended at that saying, Lord, you don't think I can fish? Sometimes we get offended and say, Lord, yeah, you know I have the ability to do that. You know I can do that. But He comes to us in that way that we can understand. He comes to us in our struggles and he just will some, just ask a little thing from us. You know, we always associate, we associate big tasks to, to big blessings. If the Lord asks me to do something big for him, then I'll get a big reward for it. So we'll say, Lord, I, I'll do that tomorrow. I'll do that later. Can, maybe somebody else can do that. I just, I'm so tired right now. I don't know if I can do that today. You know I can. I'm a little offended that you asked. And sometimes, sadly, we think those things in our heart. But he asked him to do a small, insignificant thing. Launch out into the deep and let down your nets. Something they had done probably thousands and thousands of times before. But they were obedient in this little thing. And we see this great miracle happen for it. And number three, we see the final, final outcome. I know I said it twice because there were two outcomes in this. What we see is... In verse 2, we see these men had completely given up. They were done for the day. They were packing up and they were headed home. That was the outcome of their day, of their night of work. But then Jesus comes by and they let him in the boat with them. And we see him prove himself to them. We see him prove himself in a way that they can understand in something that would really speak to them after they told all night and caught no fish. And now Jesus says, just cast your net out one more time. And now they have this, all of these fish and Christ has proven himself to them. And we find Simon Peter, he's falling down at Jesus knees, saying, depart from me for I'm a sinful man. O Lord it says they were all astonished at this miracle. But then we see something else. We see in the end of verse number 10, Christ saying, Fear not, from henceforth thou shalt catch men. And when they had brought their ships to land, they forsook all and followed him. I honestly believe that the last part of that verse, where he calls these men to be his disciples, I believe that that is just as much of a miracle as him taking all of those fish and putting them in, that, in those nets for him. These miracles, they don't always have to be a physical manifestation of God's power. It's a miracle that God could call me to South Africa. 
Uh, you can go on my Facebook page and you can, you know, you can get our prayer letters and we, we, we're, you know, we may look good and put together, but I know me sometimes. I know how I am. It's a miracle that God could call us to South Africa. It's a miracle that, that He could teach me the things that He's taught me throughout the years. But what I want to tell you and what I want to leave with you this morning, if Christ can use fishermen to be His disciples, then He can use each and every one of us as well. And you know, it's not that He can use us. It's that He desires to use us. He desires to use His children. But a lot of times we think, well, what, what could I ever offer the Lord? What could I ever do for the Lord? Maggie and I, the, the last thing on our mind was we're going to be missionaries one day. We were happy where we were. We were comfortable where we were. We loved what we were. We, we really enjoyed our careers. Maggie, you know, Maggie loved being a nurse. I, I had just got, I had just told that they were going to start preparing me to move up another level. And even after that, prepare me to move up another level after that in the, ne- in the next few years. And so, uh, hey, we had it going on. I mean, we had it all put together. We loved our church and loved our teen group. We loved all of these things, but we never thought, oh, I'm going to go to Africa and be a missionary. I say, Lord, I don't really have anything to offer you in Africa. I'm not going to start a church or anything like that. Or, but the Lord had other plans. He knew he knew what he was preparing us for. And can I tell you something? It, it, it honestly, it doesn't matter what your careers are, what your professions are. It doesn't matter if you're, what, what uh, place you are in life. If you're young or uh, middle-aged or you know, not so young anymore. It, none of that matters to God. That, that, none of that matters. It doesn't matter where you graduated from college or even if you went to Bible college. You don't have to be the pastor or a Sunday school teacher or a deacon or yeah, none of that. He found some men right here that were just willing to listen to him. They were willing to be taught and they were just obedient to his word. And that's what Christ needs. He's looking for people that will be obedient to him. And when he finds those people and those people just say, Lord, I, I don't know how you could. Use, I would have never said, Lord, I don't know how you could use really anything that I've learned much to get the gospel out. Sure, maybe I can go over there and help the missionaries work on their buildings or their cars or something. But what does that have to do with the gospel? It does. He'll find a way. He sees things that, that we overlook all the time. And He can take whatever it is that we have, no matter how insignificant or unrelated we would think that would be to serving Him, He can take that And He can use that for His honor and glory. And not only can He, but He desires to. You know, He desires to use each and every one of us in a unique way. He doesn't want want to use us all in the same way. Sure, the end goal is the same to get the gospel out. But the Lord can open as many doors and make as many avenues as, you know, ones that we can't even imagine. And He can use you in that door. He can use you down that avenue just for what He's taught you in the past, and just for that willingness and obedience to surrender that to Him. So I hope that can be an encouragement to you this morning. If He's asking you, He is asking you to do something for Him. Let Him in the boat and see what kind of ble- not just what kind of blessings He has for us for being obedient to Him, but what would He have us do? How would He have us serve Him? What unique way does He have for us to share the gospel with a lost and a dying world? All right. Thank you, Pastor. Yes. Yes, sir. Absolutely. Okay. So All right. Questions and answers. If I may start. What sure. The town the orphanage is in. Tell us about the town. Size, location, demographics. Uh, yeah. So... I hope I have that written down. Maggie's brain works a lot better with statistics than I do. Okay. Um, So Port Elizabeth is the name of the city. Um, If you look it up, it's still called Port Elizabeth, and you'll find it as Port Elizabeth on a lot of your maps. But the other day, they changed the name of it for no particular reason at all. Everybody in the town woke up, and they had a new name. I'm not even going to attempt to pronounce it because the language they speak is Kosa, and it's the language they click in, 
So it's actually pronounced Osa. And the name has a couple clicks and like a German type in it. And I don't know, I, I don't even know. But uh, so that's the name of the city. Um, it's one of the larger cities in South Africa. You've got Cape Town's probably the most popular, and then you've got Johannesburg. Uh, Port Elizabeth is on the southeast corner. Cape Town's on the west side. Port Elizabeth's on the right side, uh, on the Indian Ocean. Um, you know, I really don't know the population mm -hmm. of Port Elizabeth. I know there's around 55.7 million people in the entire country of South Africa. A lot of those collective into the cities, of course. Um, but in Port Elizabeth, uh, there are no there are no uh, children's homes like we'll have. Uh, there are no there are no Christian run children's homes. Uh, there's only state run homes and then they have illegal homes. They call them illegal homes. They're not sanctioned by the state, but the state doesn't do anything to shut them down because they can't care for the kids that they have now. So um, and even in that even in Port Elizabeth, there's another group of missionaries there. Project South Africa, and they go into these townships, start churches, and train pastors, and things like that. And those are the only gospel preaching churches that we know of. We've not been able to find any more um, in Port Elizabeth or in the townships, other than this one group of missionaries and the church, Abundant Life Baptist Church, that Brother Bergie has started. Um, there's several, there, there's three main cultural groups there. There's the wealthier South Africans that have been there for a long time. And then there's um, kind of like a middle class group that kind of goes between, uh, you know, having a job and living in a township. And then uh, there's the more native South Africans that live in the townships, like you saw pictures of, uh, that just live in poverty, have no jobs, never come out of the townships. And the sad thing is, is that these, these worlds never cross. Um, the wealthier South Africans never have anything to do with uh, the other two groups unless they're just hiring them to come out as a day laborer to come help them clear some stuff around their property or do some work for them. But other than that, they they never go into the townships and the people in the townships never go out. It's, it's almost like three different worlds there and three different cultural groups just all in this one place. Yes, sir. Um, so they don't have the influence that they have in South Africa right now, um, at least in Port Elizabeth. Uh, I mean, they, they, they have their hill and compound up on top of the hill and uh, they, they stay in most of the time, but they don't have the, uh, they don't have the, the pull or the oppressive authority that they have like in North Africa. Yes, sir. What would you say that like the predominant religion is there in South Africa, or what? Yeah. So with uh, with the wealthier South Africans, it's mainly just uh, we don't care. Yeah. Um, you know, we're we're happy, we're living our lives, we've got our things, and we're good. Um, with the people that live in the, the the native people, ancestor worship is still very very big. Um, saw some witch doctors while I was down there. Um, have there's some interesting stories about witch doctor rituals and stuff that go on. Um, and even the Jehovah's Witnesses, Mormons, Catholics, uh, Hindu, um, those people that have came into the city there that have started their own places, they'll let those people come in, but they incorporate their ancestor worship as part of their religion. So they can be a Jehovah's Witness and still worship their ancestors. They don't even make them truly convert to their religion, they still let them bring all that in because it has such a heavy impact and heavy influence in their culture. Yeah. Who was it? Oh. How dangerous is it there for, for you to live there? Um, when I think of Africa, I sometimes think of the drug lords and Right. Warlords and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, um, if we win a couple countries up, we might be in trouble. But where we're at in South Africa, it's not, um, it's really not bad. You have your typical crime there. You know, all the houses have bars and uh, we'll have a wall around the property and a gate and um, maybe even eventually a little bit of private security at night. Um, 
for the type of ministry we're doing, you know, taking people's kids that are, you know, abusing them and things. So um, we'll, uh, but it's not terrible. Uh, most of the missionaries have been robbed at some point. They usually just take their cell phones and their money and their laptop and they go on with life. They don't really hurt you or unless you fight back. They're, they're really big on, you know, you, it's not like over here. Um, yeah, they say just, just give them what they want and they'll leave and that's fine. Um, but in the northern parts of the country, there's a lot more murder. There's a lot uh, more violence. But um, where we're at, it's still relatively calm other than your just your typical things, um, even like we would see here in America and places. So I still think I might feel safer in South Africa than like Chicago or somewhere like that. So, um, yes. Okay. What's, the, what's the relationship between the church plant over there and the orphanage? Are they sort of two independent organizations or is the, is the orphanage ministry of that church plan or how do those work together? Yes, so, um, so Brother Berge started, he, he had originally planned to just have the children's home and work with the other group of missionaries, but he kept getting burdened for this area of Walmer and he kept saying, man, guys, there's such a need for Walmer. Like there's no churches in Walmer. Like somebody, you know, does anybody want to go start a church in Walmer? And finally, the Lord said, you go start a church in Walmer. And so Brother Berge started that church about a year and a half ago. And so, yes, all the, the ministry of the children's home and everything will be under the ministry of the of the church that he's pastoring there. And, um, and that even in itself is, will open up a lot of doors for us to be able to minister uh, to couples um, and to, uh, you know, young ladies uh, in like a crisis pregnancy type situation. And uh, and where the church is, is great, too, because, um, you, know, it, it, you know, it gets our name out there better for the children's home. But it's also in a place where we can minister to so many different people. We It's in a place where we can minister to the people, the wealthier people that can come. We can minister to the people in the townships because it's just right beside of one. We can drive into there. We can bring people, you know, bus people in and out of there that can come to the church. And uh, as far as the only separation between it will be, it will be in different locations. Um, And that's meant for the safety of the kids. You know, we don't want a bunch of strangers coming on our property, you know, all the time. And so we'll have the church in one spot and then the, our property for the children's home in another. Yes, sir. I'm just wondering if there's any elephants in that land. Yes, there are lots of elephants. And lions. And lions. Yep, Winston said and lions. Uh, and Miss Maggie and I even got to take a selfie with an elephant in the wild. We were that close. We were closer than me and you. And uh, so something really cool. So y'all like giraffes? Giraffes are pretty cool, right? We're going to have pet giraffes just walking around. Yep, because we're going to, our land backs right up to a game, a predator. They call them predator parks. There'll be like lions and tigers and cheetahs and stuff. So we've already got a good back fence from that predator park. And so we'll have lines. There's wild zebras that are already there. Um, but I've heard zebras are kind of mean. Everybody said that they're kind of, you know, don't mess with the zebras. They'll kick you and bite you. And so I don't know. But the giraffes are just as friendly as can be. You can feed them and everything, though. But, yeah. So that's going to be fun. I'm excited about that. Maybe they'll let me ride them one day. <laughs> Anybody else? Yes. With um, being so many orphans, maybe you said this already, but is it mostly because the young pregnancies and stuff, or it, it's not illegal like in China to have more than one right. child, right? So in the in the the pictures you saw of the townships, those are really just shacks, like ten by ten, ten by fifteen shacks. And between 12 and 15 people will live there. And that's just one family because they do have a lot of kids. Um, it's, it's not illegal to keep having kids. Uh, and that is one of the problems, that the teen pregnancies. They believe that if they can have several kids from several different fathers by the time they get out of high school, the belief is, well, all those dads will take care of their kids and me at the same time. 
but that's not what happens. They usually, you know, the fathers leave and abandon them. And so then you have uh, you know, an 18 year old mom with several kids and nothing to do with them. And then um, the things that go along with that HIV and AIDS, uh, life expectancy of 43 years old, um, just ab about as many various sins as you can think of that's detrimental to life. And then they can't take care of, they don't have jobs, they can't take care of the kids, they're cast out into the street, left to fend for themselves. And, and so the, the problem just keeps getting worse. And especially last year during COVID when everything was shut down, it was, uh, it was getting really bad. All the, within the first two or three months of COVID, um, our other nurse that's on our staff was over there and she kept telling us, she was talking to a lot of the children's homes and baby havens and they were at max capacity within two or three months of the lockdown happening. They couldn't take any more kids. People were just abandoning their kids at an alarming rate. Yes, that's yes, that's something that we really uh, have a desire to do with them because um, you know we we don't want to just bring them in there and say um, you know here's Jesus have a good life, but you know give them a chance at something and so um, that's one thing that um, I've uh, that the Lord has taught me through the years uh, in some of my jobs and things. Where, so we'll have. Um, We'll have animals farming, um, uh, and with all of that, uh, you know, all of these facilities that we'll have to do ma uh, maintain and do maintenance on. Um, I'll be training the kids to do a lot of that with me, taking them along with me, trying to teach them a trade, how to work on facilities or engines or just anything that can help give them, uh, you know, a little bit of a leg up so that they're not being turned right back out into the world and thinking, what do I do? I can't get a job because of my culture and where I'm from, but teach them something that can help them along so that they'll be able to provide for a family and, uh, and have a family, you know, not, of course, we don't want to westernize them at all, but uh, you know, give them a chance, uh, not just turn them away, but teach them what we can. And so we'll have a lot of different, uh, things on the property where we'll be, where we can teach them, uh, different trades and different skills, uh, where they can, uh, go on and have a better life, provide for themselves. All right. So we're going to do, uh, it's going to be like a cottage style home. If you look at, uh, if you go by our table, I meant to mention this earlier, if you go by our table, we've got like a little map there that uh, an architect has kind of designed um, roughly. It's, it's changed a little bit, but it's essentially the same idea. Um, so we'll have cottage style housing. Instead of having giant bunk houses for the boys and for the girls, we'll all be able to take in up to six kids per household. So however many, how much staff we have there, you know, each uh, single lady or family can take in up to six kids. So that way they'll have, be raised in a family atmosphere and in a family environment, not just, you know, stuck somewhere, um, but have a mom and a dad and, you know, Winston will have, I don't know how many brothers and sisters. And so, um, so we'll, they'll be raised like that, but the capacity will be um, right now, what we're thinking is around 60 children that we'll be able to take in, in that cottage style. And then with the uh, baby haven up to uh, maybe like a dozen, 15 more at a time. And a lot of them will probably kind of rotate through there, but we'll, that will be the capacity for that. So around 75 kids um, at this time is what we're shooting for. Is there more, um, is babies than older children or is it kind of spread equally how many um, I don't know. We're going to focus. What we're going to be focusing on is the younger kids. Um, you know, once once kids are raised like that and they get to be 10 to teenagers, it's it's a different type of ministry when you're trying to take in troubled kids that are older. So we're going to try to focus on the younger kids, maybe around five years of age or newborn to five years of age. Um, so that way, uh, and we're going to do like, you know, some crisis training and, uh, and abuse training so that we'll be able to help them out. But it, it takes a lot more involvement and a special, uh, a special kind of training and ministry when you take in the older kids as well. They're there um, and we will probably end up with some of them from time to time. But uh, yeah, but our focus is going to be on the younger kids um, so that they're we'll be able to have a place for them so that they're not just cast out 
uh, at birth or, or at a very young age. What was that, honey? Yes, I told them that. Well, yeah, for the especially like that for the older kids, we'll have the youth nights and public school ministry and uh, ministries in other children's homes where they're being raised. And so we'll still be able to reach out to them and do a lot with them. Um, just if not specifically, you know, on our own property, the doors open to still minister to that whole group as well. Does I see somebody else in the back? Maybe. No. I had a question, but oh. it was pretty well answered. Oh, okay. 